Hi, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. I guess this is kind of our holiday edition. I'm not quite in the holiday spirit yet because I'm still working on uh, things that need to be done. And um, judging from the conversations you're about to hear from Sally Ecclesiastes at uh, Ashe and George Shear at the CAC, both of them executive directors, those guys are working hard too. So right now we're still kind of making things happen in the arts um, for the sake of our city. So here goes, I think you're gonna find some very, very interesting information from these two guys. So pay attention. I um, am here with one of, um, we have to consider to be one of the top leaders in the cultural community of New Orleans. And um, she has really, um, she inherited a, a, a pretty serious mantle from Carol B. Bell, but um, everybody in town is saying uh, uh, how lucky we are to have had you to come in oh. and, um, uh, and take the, take the, Ashe the next lap. Um, so I, I, I guess I, I know we have a couple really important events going on right now, Art of the Black Experience, and I wanna hear about that. And uh, you have Christmas on the Boulevard coming up, but why don't we just start with a quick kind of, what's it been like to run Ashe? And what <laughs> has been really important to you? Well, first of all, Jean, thank you so much for having me um, on your show. And thank you also for, um, you know, your wonderful um, compliments. I really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I don't sure. always feel like that, but I'm so glad that you all are uh, <laughs> reflecting on me kindly. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, and I accept it as for real and appreciate it um, as such and um, appreciate the community in general um, for the way that everyone has embraced and supported and encouraged me um, in this role. Because as you mentioned, um, you know, I'm following the inimitable Carol B. Bell and, um, and we all know how much she meant um, and still means, she's still here, how much she means to us. Um, it has, it has been challenging, um, by any measure. So I would never discount that, um, particularly taking over leadership right before COVID, right? Um, <laughs> you know, but, um, the great part about it is that I feel like, um, the work that I do and the people that I serve have the solutions, right? Um, so it's inside of the cultural community that the answers to these big societal um, problems lie, if only we can get folks to listen. But um, but that's what we're working on, as I shared, to get folks to listen, to get folks to um, understand, you know, not just the uh, esoteric value, you know, um, of the arts, yeah. but the real practical, um, and you know this, you know, so very well, um, the real practical value of how art and culture helps us to um, manage, plan, um, and execute our everyday lives. Uh, it, it's, it's, um, it gives us our soul uh, in our work and our mission. Um, without it, I just can't even imagine um, how we would suffer through what we have to work through to, to make things happen. That's right. Um, it happens so much more slowly than we want it to, but um, it, it's the, uh, the culture and the arts that that really pump life into us every day. That's right, especially in this town. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and that I think is also one of the things that I think a lot of people miss when when you talk about our roots. 
and and the, the fact that our history is so alive i always say the past is not past in new orleans but um <laughs> the thing that's important about those roots are also that they are imbued with improvisation and improvisation mm -hmm. is what stimulates innovation and i that's think right. that um we are also an innovating culture and people that's are right. beginning I think more and more to to realize that you said that um, you know the, if we could only get people to listen, do you feel like that more people are listening? It's hard to say, Jean. Like in in some ways, I feel like people are listening, you know, more than ever before. Um, but then in some ways, it's like and, and I guess every you know every moment. Um, historical moment may be like this for the people who, you know, who are in it. Um, but, you know, it feels like people are listening, you know, less than ever before, or if they're listening, it's not spurring them to action, you know, um, as much as you would, you know, think or hope, or the things that are spurring folks to action are, um, are kind of not the things that you want people to act on. You know, there's so much misinformation, but that misinformation is fueled um, with the kinds of insidious energy, right? And, um, you know, that's very present, that's very quick, that's very responsive. Um, and I guess it's hard, you know, for those of us who may be more thoughtful and deliberate sometimes to react, um, you know, to the rapidness, at, you know, that the vitriol comes at you. And I'm thinking, you know, particularly, you know, around um, voting rights and around the critical race theory stuff and, um, you know, and folks just get mobilized um, on what I consider the wrong side of the issue um, so heavily and, and so quickly. I was reading an article um, yesterday morning, uh, the day before yesterday, uh, about a statue in Nashville, and I had never seen it, you know, and I lived in Nashville for a while and visited often enough, but they said it was on the side of I-65, a horrible statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, 20, 30 feet high kind of thing, um, and the man who put the statue there, like his, his um, defense literally was that slavery was the first form of social security, right, oh, and <laughs> oh, I didn't hear that quote. Oh, <laughs> uh, they, they, the quotes are just, they just go on and on. Are you and on and on, right? And so. First foremost, oh my. Right. And my thing is, you don't care I about Social Security. One. If you did, you would make, you know, some statues to, who, who, who put it? FDR, Eisenhower, whoever. <laughs> make a statue of him. Nathan Bedford Forrest, you know, not so much. So people, you know, just lie about their true intentions rather than just say, I'm a rabbit racist and I don't like people who are not white and I don't want them around me and I don't think they should have things, you know, that I don't allow them to have. And I don't think they should be places where I don't want them to be. Like, just say that, right? And then we can have another kind of conversation, but it's just so insidious because it's just, you know, it's just lies. It's a remarkable uh, time that we're in. It really is, and it, it's 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 just hard to understand. I think the thing that concerns me the most is is um, how do we evolve out of this? In in some ways, you were saying that people are being just duplicitous, but in another way, they're being more transparent than ever. And yes, so and a lot, yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> but they're not trying to be transparent. It's transparent yeah. to us what they're doing. Yeah. which is what makes you know which is the comical part and you need some of that 
you know, laugh to keep from crying. Um, I don't think they think they're transparent. (laughs) I I think they think we don't know (laughs) their real aim. (laughs) I I, I don't know what the hell they think, truthfully. Yeah, well, that's true. Here's the thing. I do feel that the arts right now are more driven by social environmental policy issues than ever they always have been they always have been in in that place i mean i i'm a girl of the 60s and we were fighting the vietnam war and 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 you're still you were you were on civil rights marches i mean it Mm -hmm. was a very that was a pretty wild uh time of change too Mm -hmm. this is this is a more degrading and slow and mean-spirited kind of period however Mm -hmm. i do think that the arts, um, I, I quote, the person who actually used these exact words was Alexis, and she said, the arts will bring us out of this. And I- I, Who I, said that? Lisa Alexis. Lisa Alexis. I, I very wise, um, Madam Lisa, I, I do have that level of faith in, in the arts. Um, I, I think it's probably the only thing um that could really bring us out of this right you know that softening um of the heart that ability to cross barriers subconsciously that your conscious mind won't um really allow so so i do i do see that and i also think that our artists are up to the task right i I, um like no time before i think our artists are imbued um with the social justice mission across all kinds of issues. Exactly. Let's talk about Art of the Black Experience. Right. This is the show that you have on now. Mm-hmm. And, um, if I'm mis- mistaken, it's going through January, right? It is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, uh, let, tell me about it. So I'm um, very proud of this show. It's a partnership with the Arts Council, um, and it is their annual, um, the exhibit for their annual one uh, percent for art program. So if you're familiar with the percent for art program, which started in 1989 here in the city, um, every year the city uses one percent of its um, general fund to purchase art for um, city buildings. Um, I learned in 2014 or 15 that up to that point, um, the Arts Council had only spent 10% of that money on black artists in this black city with our black taxes (laughs) and our black laborers and our black leadership um, in our industry that relies on the cultural production uh, of its black citizens. We only invested 10% um, into black artists. I thought that was abhorrent. I still think it's abhorrent. and I, you know, lobby um, to the city, to arts council members over the past, you know, five, six years that um, there should be an all black show, right? Like you have to make up for that. Whatever, however, you have to invest in black art to the point, um, as long as I've been alive in New Orleans, the city has been between 60 and 80% black, right? So let's, Split it down the middle and call it 70 until 70% of your funding goes to black artists, right? You're not equitable. Um, So this year, and you know, it took a whole social justice uprising, but here we are. um, And this year's show 
is 90% um, Black, um, all local. It is absolutely incredible and amazing art. Each and every piece is um, profound and exquisite. Um, and so I, I'm just, you know, I'm proud um, of the Arts Council in the city um, for meeting this moment. Um, but I am so like over the moon <laughs> uh, about these artists and the excellence that they are exhibiting. And um, I mean, it is just phenomenal and unbelievable. Have you been yet? No, I was just thinking of, you're making me drool. That <laughs> I, have not been, I, I have been so um, chained to my computer um, uh, no, lately no. that it's been uh, sad. Um, the only, I think I've, the only thing I've gotten out to see was the Haitian uh, dance program last weekend at the CAC. Oh, yeah, I heard that was incredible. It was incredible. I'm a former dancer. That was my art ah, form. So okay. I, I worked really hard to push myself out there. Um, yeah. I'm going to get up there. Okay. In fact, what I'll probably do is I'll, I'll do a twofer. I'll hit that and I'll hit your um, Christmas on the Boulevard. I've, I've yeah, the ho holiday on the Boulevard. I've never, um, I've never come away from that without something. Well, you're not going to this time either. And I'm encouraging people to come away with some of this artwork. So the show closes um January towards the end don't make me lie about a date but my and we will have a closing um event for it as well um because I do plan to get books made with all of the art so that you know all of the artists can have that and people can buy that as a way to you know I, I feel like this is a historical show and I want to capture that moment um both for the artists and um the city at large but um my goal is to sell every single piece um, so uh, I didn't uh, realize that that work was on uh, was for sale. So yeah, so uh, whatever the city doesn't choose, oh, that's, um, it, that's what it is. So it mm -hmm. goes to the city, but what they don't. Okay, no, I got yeah, it. whatever the city doesn't buy, and though they um did you know they did it by vote. So over the weekend, they were you know everybody who came through got to vote on it, and we had almost four hundred people at the opening, which I thought was extraordinary. Three hundred and three hundred and seventy four people um came to the opening. So thank y'all, thank y'all so much for um supporting this art in such a vigorous way now and lots of people ask about you know buying pieces so now is the time to come back see um which ones the city um won't be buying and to put your bid in and you better come before i um <laughs> put a few more stickers on there but um our goal is to make sure that every single piece is bought and that um all of these artists are um are celebrated and compensated for the beautiful work how, how many pieces are there all together i think it's 75 Oh, okay. So and the city took how many? Do you know? I um, you know, they were walking around putting the stickers on them yesterday, and I would say at least half the pieces. Okay. Um, so, there's, so there's a good supply of yeah, work there's a good supply left, yeah. To buy. Oh, I'm so glad that I got that into the uh, discussion because I did not know that. And I think that's really important for people to know because I don't know if you're aware, Asali, but we have a little campaign called Give Art. And we have featured an artist a day as part oh. of that. But we, we basically put the word out, you know, instead of buying manufactured products from uh, China and elsewhere, yes. buy the work of local artists. Yes, please, 
please. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to help people understand also that art is affordable. A lot of people don't, you know, they read these stories about the hedge fund guys in New York yeah. <laughs> art, and they think that they can't afford art when in fact there are so many young and less represented and artists who just, you know, who don't price their work that high. Yeah. That, um, there's a lot of that work available in this market. So it's really important. That's great. That's a terrific. Yeah. And I'll tell you that the pieces here are between 500 um, and 10,000, most of them being, you know, between the $750 and $2,000 ranges, a lot of $1,000 pieces. And also the thing about art is that it increases in value, right, from the moment that you buy it. So think of it not only as an investment in our artists and an investment in your decor, but something for your children and build your intergener intergenerational wealth with. Right. And the only thing I want to say about that, because it's just something that sticks in my craw big time, is that I believe in royalties for artists. And um, that's something that we really um, I, it's going to I guarantee you that it will be in our strategic plan. OK, it strongly. And I don't see why we couldn't in a city um, uh, do that. I mean, no, I don't see why not. it's going to require ultimately federal action to really make it um, work. But uh, we can start in, in the start city. the ball rolling. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, because it, it's, it's a shame to see an artist struggle and get. I'll never forget. I think somebody told me they bought a Jackson Pollock. Oh, I know who it was. It was um, Bultman, uh, um, not uh, Bethany, but um, her her um, mother-in-law, who who bought a Jackson Pollock. I think for like two hundred dollars, mm -hmm. right? And you know what a Jackson Pollock is worth today? I mean, literally the big ones, millions, and and yeah down from there so I mean he happens to have passed but plenty of artists watch their work go for big numbers and and they gave oh, it oh and they never get anything from it. yeah yeah exactly so that that's not right um well that's okay. great that, I'm, I'm excited about that and that is open what are your hours and days of the week that people can come yes we are Tuesday through Saturday um we're we're off on Sundays and Mondays so Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 5 the gallery is open Okay. And um, Holiday on the Boulevard, how, how, what's the timing? How does that work? Holiday on the Boulevard is on Friday and Saturday, the 17th and 18th. The um, 17th on Friday, um, we have our Kwanzaa Imagination Tour during the daytime um, for school kids to come learn about the Kwanzaa holiday um, with Mama Jamila and um, Baba Luther. And then um, we have a, a panel and reception on Friday night um, at 6 p.m. to launch our institutional memory project. Um, so part of the work that we've been doing over the past two years is to really um, collect um, and classify and categorize and all of that kind of stuff. All of the documents that went into the making of Ashe, right? So all of Mama Carol and Baba Doug's um, works, Al Kennedy, our former board historian, um, you know, really took on a yeoman's effort um, and got all of uh, their stuff um, collected and classified and is now at the Amistad um, Research Center. 
Um, and we wanted to create so a, a, a portal on our website for folks to still be able to access those um, items, you know, something for scholars, community, you know, members, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So we have the Amistad collection. We have a group of um, interviews, many by Mama Carol and Baba Doug and, um, you know, Lynetta Gilbert and Dwight Webster and, you know, just so many of those folks who went into the founding of our shade to talk about, you know, um, to talk about all of those things, what did it mean and how did it, it contribute to the development of um, Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard and who were the partners and, you know, just to talk about like that ecosystem, you know, in black led organizations, there's, all, there's not a lot of reflection um, because we're always in a state of doing to survive and getting to the next point that you don't I'm often, I'm sorry, what are you saying? I, 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 I anticipated you said survival. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so we thought it was important to model, um, you know, how important our institutions are and in taking seriously our history and honoring it and preserving it. Um, so that's what we're doing with this institutional memory project and making a portal for people to be able to access our art collection and to access our photographs and videos and, you know, all of those kinds of things. So it's a work in progress, but we are ready to start. And we also want to create a way to get um, communities feedback and their memories and their pictures and things that they would like to share um, about how they have interacted with Ashe and what it has meant to them um, as an institution over these last almost 25 years. So that is going to uh, be kind of celebrated or launched on Friday night the 17th? Yeah, it'll be launched on Friday night um, with the panel featuring Mama Carol and Lynetta Gilbert. Um, uh, Reverend Dwight Webster and Luther Gray. Okay. And then on Saturday, all day long, we'll be singing and Kwanzaa-ing and Christmasing and arting and, <laughs> you know, all, all of that lovely Holy Day stuff. It's great. It's great stuff. I really have always enjoyed that, uh, that event. The Friday night, well, what's the time on that? PM. Uh, what time? 6 p.m. 6. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear you. Um, okay. Well, that's that's all great stuff. And um, we're kind of, you know, rocking and rolling towards our my deadline of my time. But okay. let, okay. Um, uh, the one thing I, I had uh, uh, asked you uh, in the beginning of our conversation was um, looking forward, looking forward. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, again, from the pandemic, there was all this pivoting and, and reawakening of, of uh, all kinds of issues, mm -hmm. uh, including racial issues, including um, uh, all kinds of permutations of looking at uh, uh, our sex and our and our identity. And, and now mm -hmm. we're looking at, um, okay, we're, co we're coming, we're looking at the future. How, um, how are you asylum um, and uh, Ashe, but I, I kind of want to hear from Asali mm -hmm. uh, these two years in your experience and, and, and how are you feeling about the future and, and what's your focus? Um, you know, I, I feel good about the future because I feel like now we have one, right? There was, 
there was some times in 2020 where that wasn't clear. <laughs> so let's just celebrate that um, at least for a little while until we destroy the earth, you know, um, through climate disaster. But <laughs> we, we at least have a few more years, right? Um, and if we are able to take those few more years and to make some meaningful um, changes that gives us you know, maybe another generation. Um, I would like Ashe to be working toward um, intergenerational wealth for um, the people of the African diaspora that we serve here in New Orleans. You know, we have incredible disparities here. You know, um, you know, even as wonderful as New Orleans is, and even with all of the problems, ain't none of us trying to go nowhere, but we still <laughs> need it to be different, right? Um, we need it to be a place that does not exploit um, the majority of its citizens. It needs to be a place where we have equal access to education, um, economic opportunity, uh, and health. You know, we literally have a 25-year disparity between Black New Orleanians and White New Orleanians, and I don't see why anybody's okay with that. I don't see why everyone is not up in arms saying, what can we do to fix this? Because I don't think that's right. You know, um, I can't imagine that anyone thinks that is right, whether they are White or Black, or anyone uh, of any other ethnicity, um, along the human genome, right? Um, you, that in this very same place, our, our life expectancy is determined by the zip code that we live in. Um, and that's all determined by policy, you know, which means that it's in our hands to make these changes. Um, it's, it's in the hands of our elected officials. It's in our hands as we hold them accountable to us. And so the work that I envision doing, you know, is activating artists in a way that they haven't been before. So one of the things that we're doing um, in that regard is we have a community health workers program. Um, we, the, the name has changed a bit, you know, it started off as I deserve it, then it went to community spreading eyes back to I deserve it. But the deal is we train artists as community health workers. These artists are the trusted messengers in community, right? Um, much more so, unfortunately, than healthcare providers. So training artists to deal with those upstream social determinants of health, um, you know, that affect people in place and to give them the strategies to deal with it, strategies that they can recognize, strategies that they can hold on to, and strategies that they can contribute to, right? So it it makes them their own things that they can employ inside of their family, starting with making sure they know they are the experts of their own bodies and that they are to be respected in their interactions with healthcare providers. Um, so that, that work has been phenomenal. We're piloting it right now um, with five CHWs and have just gotten funding to add an additional 10. Um, so, you know, we're really excited about that work and to see, you know, what the results of that are, um, because we know that Life expectancy is a population level indicator, which means it takes five to 10 years before you see changes, right? Um, but we, we think it's a real change that can demonstrate the power of art um, in something as essential as people's life expectancy. Um, and it's also a part of that program. We're working with New Orleans East Hospital. Um, they're our, our partner in creating, uh, uh, well, they're our partner overall in delivering the healthcare. But um, the other part is the creation of an equity toolkit for healthcare providers. Um, so, you know, while we want to infuse our 
uh, residents and community members with the tools to advocate for themselves, we also are clear that the onus should not be on them, right? That we have a healthcare system that has responsibility to our people to not increase their disparity, which is what the healthcare system in our country currently does, right? Um, so we want to actually work with healthcare providers, starting with the ones here in New Orleans, to teach them how to treat Black people. Because even though all of the research to create the medical marvels and miracles that we enjoy today were largely um, experiments on Black bodies, the care that grew out of those experiments um, you never came to us, right? Like we know that for gynecology, medicine knows everything it knows about the womb um, because a monstrous man decided to take enslaved women and cut them open and study them without anesthesia and do experiments on them. And this, and he is known as the father of gynecology. You know, everybody knows the story of Henrietta Lacks and her eternal cells that to this day um, provide the basis for most of the biomedicine in the world, right? But still, Black people cannot get good health care. So we are determined to change that. Um, so, so that's one thing that um, is in our future that I feel excellent about. Another is our Alliance for Cultural Equity, um, which is a collaborative of 18 small archive and museum organizations, um, what will be considered marginalized, but you know, we're ready to push those margins to the center. Um, we work with the Amistad, the African American Museum, the LGBTQ archive, the United Home and Nation, um, the Asian Pacific American Society, um, the Chinese American Society, Backstreet Museum, Petit Treme Museum, um, Claiborne uh, History Project, uh, Plessy Ferguson, you know, so those are those organizations who actually serve community, serve New Orleanians um, and the people of our region in a very intimate way, but we don't get the funding, right? Ashe is the largest of those organizations and many of them have not ever had a grant, right? And so, um, we're working together, one, to, you know, figure out what the infrastructure is that we can help each other with and that we can share to build the capacity of all of our organizations. But ultimately, we want to push for changes in legislation that allow our organizations to get the same um, kind of funding that NOMA and Ogden and Historic New Orleans Collection get you know, the same that white serving organizations get. And we need to call out that they are white serving. They don't serve New Orleans, they serve white folks. And we should be explicit about that, right? So that fairness can come when, you, when you're duplicitous, you can't ever get to the equity part, right? Because you, you, you just can't, it requires honesty. And so I, I'm about, um, you know, calling all of the inequities that we experience in our daily life, um, to the floor, um, calling our residents and our leadership to task about changing those issues, um, understanding that they're systemic, um, and, you know, fighting and loving and enjoying myself doing it every single day. So that's, that's my future. That was quite a closing statement. <laughs> I would call it an opening statement. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about what you talked, you just through. And uh, it, it may to people who still don't really understand the arts and the creative industry sector in general, um, they don't realize the connections between the arts and, as you said, health, 
housing, mm -hmm. community, economic development, all of it. And um, I uh, applaud what you're doing and wish you all the luck and, and call us, make us, uh, keep us informed. That's all well, I thank you so much, Jean. Out as much as we can. Sally, Ecclesiastes, thank you for all that thank you're you. doing and uh, all the luck in the world. And um, I'll see you soon. Ashe. <laughs> um, George Shear is the now almost or just about two year um, director. Fully. It's been fully two years. Fully two years. More, more than two years now. Time flies, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, of the Contemporary Arts Center. And um, the CAC has really been an important um, uh, innovator in the cultural arena, as well as having a tremendous impact in not only its immediate neighborhood, but the city as a whole. And um, George has really stepped into uh, programming and innovations and ideas that are making a difference. And I thought it was time to kind of get a little bit of an update from him on how things are going forward. George, let's start with your initial impression of the CAC. And I, I don't mean to put you on the spot on that, but just how would you describe it as an institution and what you immediately felt you wanted to tackle? Well, I think that, uh, you know, what was immediate, immediately apparent, and we're talking two years ago, so that's um, six months in a pandemic or so. Um, so the immediate impressions of that time uh, were that this was a very important asset with a long history in the community that was, um, had in some ways been radically different than the other arts institutions that had shaped this community and was unique in its time, founded in 76. Um, by a group of artists, um, your husband included, uh, who kind of created an alternative site for contemporary art and really brought contemporary art uh, to a uh, cultural landscape um, in New Orleans that, that didn't have a space for that kind of um, artistic genre. Uh, and that the CAC was really uh, unique in, in its role at that moment. Um, and that has carried on through its institution for many, many years. It has, it has had to kind of try to find its place and make the case for why in a city so rich with culture and so rich with um, many different art forms and, and certainly music being sort of the, the, the king and queen of, of it all uh, to make a case for where contemporary art fit. Uh, and so I think when I first arrived, it was, it was feeling that um, Here's a really important asset that has undergone so many decades of change and transformation. It means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Uh, and how do we how do we kind of narrow and uh, congeal what it is um, in its role and importance in the city, and also set the pace for where it needs to be and where it can go uh, into the future? So I think what's interesting also is that. Um, you described our culture as very rich, it is, but when the CAC first opened, there was a much more limited um, population of cultural organizations in the city. That has changed dramatically, and I think really ex it's exciting to see the number of institutions. Sometimes you feel a little bit overwhelmed with the number of people who are out there with related missions and agendas and wonder why there couldn't be more um, collaboration and merging rather than so many different organizations. But on the other hand, 
Um, each has brought a different um, set of ideas to the table and, 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 and before the city. And so at this point, I would say we have developed into a much more robust cultural um, economy and, and a universe. How, how does that feel to you um, as compared with what you understand the, uh, the, the context was when it opened and also um, from your experience in other communities? Well, I certainly think that that um, uh, that you've had a broadening of um, creative and cultural productions over time um, everywhere around the country. Um, and uh, what I've experienced is uh, a lot of organizations that are um, really supporting supporting artists uh, in very different ways, I think more nuanced and increasingly different ways. And the, the key is to find what is, what's the right fit for the CAC? How does it support artists? What does it mean in terms of this larger um, cultural economy? Uh, and where is its positioned uh, in terms of real estate, in terms of, um, the, uh, in terms of uh, the central business district, in terms of New Orleans today uh, than in the past? Um, and so, you know, I think that there is a unique place for, uh, that has always been a part and is carved out for where the CAC is, uh, a unique place, um, both as a, um, a, an organization that is a touchstone in some sense for contemporary art in New Orleans, bringing in great work and being dedicated to the most avant-garde, critical, creative ideas that are out there and being connected to the national and international uh, scene, while at the same time, being a um, a um, a mainstream, larger institution with a lot of built infrastructure and capacity that is needed by artists uh, in this community and is looked at uh, as a place that has historically and and today is essential to the artist community here. Um, and then I think the third aspect of that is is where contemporary art is driving us. It's also I think where makes us potentially unique in some ways among the other larger arts institutions, uh, which is a focus on, on uh, the social and political implications of the civic space. Um, and that is tied to, you know, where we are and where we, you know, um, we're some of the first in the warehouse district, uh, as I understand, uh, we're uh, kind of innovators in, 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 in engaging this area of town. Uh, and now we are in the center of kind of the economic um, real estate game. Um, and so it's a real opportunity to uh, not only define what this block means with the Ogden and the World War II Museum and uh, murals and other cultural uh, events in the CBD, uh, but to actually define a vision around the role of an art center in our civic sphere. Uh, and in doing that, we really turned to this idea of intersector and the role of arts across sectors and looking specifically at incarceration and health and environment, which are things that artists are talking about. Um, but to realize that arts institutions um, and specifically the CAC and artists today really have a role in these bigger conversations. Uh, I think art has traditionally and contemporary art specifically has, has carved out a myopic place for itself. Um, uh, it is 
it functions in its own kind of echo chamber. And for that reason, it's turned a lot of people off or it seemed unnecessary or it seems like luxury. Uh, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's essential and necessary. And that's not how I experience contemporary. That's not how I experience uh, what artists feel about the work they're making. Their work is essential and necessary and they spend a great deal of time developing it, not just from their own material practices and uh, what they do in their studio, but from the relationships they have uh, in the world. And it is our um, part of our mission uh, as the art of our time is to help elevate and, and um, give context uh, to those ideas and make and, and make a case for why they matter in a larger civic sphere. So if you are working at Ashner and you were a doctor there or you work in IT or whatever, you're interested in questions of health, you're curious about issues of science, and we've had this whole pandemic what does art have to say about healing? What does art have to say about trauma? What does art have to say about uh, scientific technologies and the body? What does art have to say about the materials of the metal industry, the performance of bodies um, as patients and, and what it is to be a patient? What does a more human-centered world look like in a biomedical context? These are all questions that are vast and broad and artists are asking them and it's our role to build context around those questions connect artists in meaningful ways around those questions and bring it to the public in a way that people can engage um, where they perhaps haven't before. Big agenda. And um, I'm, I'm fascinated by um, the fact that you're, you're looking at also uh, the financial um, strategies and, um, and figuring out how to do that better, because that's always been the real challenge for the CAC, for all the reasons you already gave. of It was something new for New Orleans uh, to think about um, contemporary art. That was not really a, a part of the focus of the cultural community when it started. So um, I don't know whether, I mean, that's kind of esoteric to deal with uh, in a public radio audience. But um, uh, on the other hand, I think a lot of um, cultural institutions and groups and collectives in a city grapple with that. Every day, every week, uh, I can speak to that as a small nonprofit now, um, it's a struggle. So um, again, uh, I'm interested in those key uh, pearls of wisdom that uh, came out of this process regarding how you are going to uh, address this, which has always been a problem for the CAC, again, because it, it's not the obvious kind of social um, a uh, place to be on the board and give money. So it, it, it struggled in, in the sense of not having that automatic uh, connection. So um, what, what, are, uh, what, are the, um, what are the key ideas that you've emerged with that you think are relevant to some of the other smaller groups and collectives around the city? Um, there's a lot of questions in there, Gene. Uh, <laughs> What's the best way for a small cultural organization uh, to grow financially that you sure. learn during your process? Um, I think that I think it's some of the basics that are always there. Um, I think it is uh, a good um, a good clear understanding of the mission and and um, the impact of that mission. I think it is about um, you know we talk in terms of a family for our board. So who are people engaged with that mission and how are they um, 
uh, how are they connected to it in unique ways? And what are the opportunities, in fact, of diversifying a board um, to be connected not only with the, the fundraising goals, um, but really the, the, the mission and, the, and the, um, the kinds of audiences and, that one wants to have, um, the kinds of perspectives that you want, uh, and the kind of leadership that you want. And so rethinking uh, board development um, as, uh, as core ambassadors for what the, what the value of the organization is and thinking of that picture of the board as being um, those best representative, uh, not simply of the financial capacities or needs of the organization or its social standing in a certain, um, you know, a certain place or neighborhood or whatever it is. Um, but really thinking about how the mission's impact uh, connect, is connected to who is speaking and being ambassadors to the organization. Uh, and I think finding that has been, has been an important process. Uh, we brought on 10 new members of our board this year, uh, which is very excited about. Uh, they come from a, a host of different backgrounds and experiences. Uh, um, you know, uh, people in the universities and in, uh, in the legal system and the hospital system, uh, people who uh, have uh, deep backgrounds in racial equity, uh, but also people who are um, uh, intricately involved in um, forms of creative output, artists, you know, having artists uh, available and present on the board as well. Um, so, I, you know, all of this is like when, when people are encounter a board member or when the organization presents itself from its board's position or when those members are out there in the world, how are the values of the organization and the impact of its mission being expressed? Um, and pairing those up, I think, are, are really our key. And then you have a, you know, for all the small folks being out there in a very scarce environment, you just have to hone in on what it is that you're good at and that your budget can, can, can suffice. I mean, I think that the challenge the CAC has had is that because long and complicated social history, it has been a place of everything for everyone and it just cannot be that. Um, so um, refining that and being clear about what it is and what it can do well and how it can serve the community well uh, and making a case for that is really important uh, as also a, a narrative that's tied to the budget and how the budget will change and grow. I mean, the other thing I think, and this is, this is um, you know, there is growth points in our budget for sure. And we have a larger financial plan, but I think that this idea that you just grow and grow and grow and grow, and that is progress is, um, is problematic. And, and really it, it breaks down those people who we need to be most creative in our communities because it leads to burnout and it, and it, um, and it uh, creates unreasonable expectations. Um, and so uh, that's just a general note about this sort of infinite growth potential. Uh, things happen in waves and they grow and they and things change and they shift and they move. And this is certainly a town that believes that everything must live forever. Um, and so breaking from that kind of pattern of no, this maybe doesn't need to live, this part doesn't need to live forever. This other thing can transition from it. We can develop this idea here. This is what's necessary and important. This is, this is how we express our value. I mean, having that uh, articulated and to be accountable to those values um, 
uh, is, is essential um, and it's tied to the budgeting and it's tied to the board. Uh, it all has to be holistic. Uh, I have two more questions. We're going to run out of time, so I'm going to I want to make sure to get them in. So one is um, uh, I often note that one of the important things that developed during the pandemic was um, the first time that you really see uh, arts organizations moving out of their silos and collaborating together to address the needs of artists during a time of uh, extreme challenge. Um, that's one thing. And how do you feel about that and see it going forward? Um, and you know how would how would you describe um, in in a sort of more soundbody kind of language what how you see the city going forward? Um, and also, finally, um, just give me a little bit of a taste of some of the exciting things that are upcoming in the spring. That's a lot to get into. I think we have another maybe ten minutes, but um, sure. So I, I will say that one of the I I've just it's been a blessing, um, frankly. Uh, that during this pandemic, so many uh, leaders in the arts, just incredibly brilliant, thoughtful people who've been doing this in this city for such a long time uh, in different ways, in different capacities. Um, so many of them came together uh, through a, an organization or network called the Creative Response Network. And while we were all trying to figure out what to do, um, whether it was in terms of how we were going to you know, make sure our environments and our, our spaces were safe, make sure that our staff was safe, make sure that, uh, that the constituencies and audiences and families that we were, um, that we serve are taken care of or receiving things to rethink how we do the work that we do to really kind of get off the hamster wheel for a moment to support each other um, has been, you know, I, I could have spent these last two years running around meeting people, um, but through these very intense, um, wonderful network uh, with regular Zoom calls. I, you know, people that I have only now just begun to actually physically meet um, has been just a blessing to, to spend time with these minds. And, and I take away from that, uh, that there is such brilliance, such hard work, um, such creative ingenuity um, among the arts leaders uh, in this town. And they need, uh, the, whole, the whole ecology needs more money. It needs $85 million of more money. I mean, this is not like a, and, and, and so having those conversations, especially after Ida, where so many people were out there and there was so much effort of mutual aid. I mean, people who were displaced trying to get back or trying to create opportunities for people in their audiences or their family or staff. I mean, watching that was, was truly um, incredible. Are you at the door? Uh, uh, I'll be with you in just a few minutes, okay? The gates open on the inside knob. Thank you. Sorry. No, no worries. Okay. Uh, so I, that that was for me. That was really um, wonderful and empowering and very comforting in this in this very um, tricky time. Uh, and then in terms of um, things upcoming, um, we've got a lot of great. So we have a one. I mean, the prospect exhibition is gorgeous. We have the largest collection. The prospect is, uh, for those who don't know, is a uh, biennial, triennial. Uh, uh, every two to three years, there's um, a collection of great work that's spread throughout the city, great contemporary artwork, both uh, artists here in New Orleans and also artists internationally renowned, artists often invited to respond and create work in response to the city. Uh, we have the largest collection of, single collection of those works there's, I forget how many artists, 30 to 40, 50 artists in the whole um, exhibition uh, or whole um, 
prospect. We have 17 artists in our two galleries. It is beautiful work. It is powerful work. Um, it is both um, sort of renowned people in the world uh, and also people who um, are showing for the first time. We just opened an incredible, beautiful piece by the artist Phoebe Boswell, um, which is in our Oval Gallery. It's gorgeous. It is a um, it is a work that explores the questions of the Black horizon, the Black experience, uh, and at the same time uh, explores issues of um, freedom with recordings. Uh, and Phoebe collected these uh, from her um, global international communities, but also spent time here in New Orleans making this work, this hand-drawn charcoal uh, drawings of people uh, that she experienced and met here in New Orleans who became part of this project. Um, it's quite lovely. Uh, Kenny Anwar is an incredible uh, artist who really just, I, you have to come and experience this piece. It's it's um, neo artifact, object, poetry, uh, again, multidisciplinary, all brought together in this beautiful, gorgeous presentation. It's really very moving. The whole, the whole exhibition is quite, um, uh, is quite emotional in a lot of ways. And, um, uh, we welcome people. And then in the spring, uh, we have a few projects going on right now. We're working with a group called, uh, there's a whole dance. Uh, every, I think it was part of your program, the Everybody Dance Now um, uh, program uh, that's ongoing throughout this weekend. Uh, we have an upcoming presentation uh, of Keisha McKee's Raw Fruit. This is something that we've been working with for quite a while. Uh, beautiful uh, dance performance. Um, we Raw heard dance. No, a lot right. of dance. Yeah, there's a lot of dance in this season. Um, a lot of dance, uh, and there's a lot of incredible dancers here in this community. That's what I found. The, the, the have dance. not had the exposure they should have had. George, I'm really running out of time. Okay. I do, I do want to close. Um, yes. People can go on your website, of course, and see more about things that are coming up. But I just I want to close with one last question. Um, at the end of your um, era with the CAC. Um, and, and, and somebody asks, so, well, how was George? What did he do? What, what was he all about? How, how would you like to hear the answer to that? That just that uh, one uh, short statement that um, will encapsulate what you will have achieved and, and uh, uh, made happen at the CAC. I, I hope that they will, where they will respond that the CAC is a, is a sustainable and committed value to the community of both artists here and a touchstone for artists around the world uh, to connect with New Orleans. Uh, and I hope that they will see that the CAC is more integrated into the social patterns uh, uh, of this community, uh, that it is seen as a hub for ideas uh, and critical gatherings uh, um, broadly in civic life and certainly among artists. Uh, and I, I just think that I would hope that they would see, well, George positioned this for, so that for the next 20 or 30 years that this institution uh, is, um, uh, is deeply valued, impactful, and necessary uh, to the contemporary furthering of this city and its value. That is a mouthful, a lifeful, and I know you're going to get it done because you've already demonstrated in your short two years that you're um, taking very seriously what happens at that center and for the city in general. And thank you, George. Thanks, Jane. So um, that those were earfuls, huh? I hope that um, some of you can benefit from their real smarts on, on both their parts and commitment to um, the arts and to our city. 
Uh, in the meantime, I'm committed to you having a wonderful solstice season, as I call it, because it's really the solstice that underlies all of the religious celebrations at this time of the year, because it's about trying to brighten things up when it's um, a little darker than usual. Although um, we are about to start having longer days. So um, that's the good news. Um, have a great holiday. This is Jean Nathan across our conversations at WBOK, what people are talking about.